2: From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Okay, get ready, this episode of this program you're listening to right now could be one of the most fun of the entire year. This is the puzzle show. We've got the editor of many of your beloved Spelling Bee Puzzles, we've got a crossword puzzle maker, and even a woman who directed the legendary MIT Mystery Hunt. Why have puzzles like that danged Wordle been so fun and viral during the pandemic? We'll investigate And we need you. We've got a puzzle created just for this show. Coming up later in the show. Come play along after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You might be shocked to discover that spelling bee, a pandemic craze, existed... Long before COVID. And technically, it is true. The puzzle was in the paper as well as online before March 2020. But it was something about the isolation and strain of this time that turned it into a smash hit and a touchstone for grandparents and their grandkids, coworkers, even mutuals on social media. In the last few weeks, we've seen Wordle do something similar, and it got us thinking. What is it about puzzles in a panty? So we've got puzzle constructors, that's the term of art, as well as as puzzle solvers. And we're going to start with Sam Mazursky, the digital puzzles editor for the New York Times. He edits Spelling Bee, and he has a special little puzzle just for us. But first, we're going to talk about the Spelling Bee. Uh, Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. It really is a
2: privilege to be here
3: around all these puzzle colleagues at that.
2: (laughs) So how does spelling bee actually get made and edited it's like a computer spit out a bunch of variations and you pick them or is it like you're handcrafting each puzzle
3: yeah i get uh i get way too much credit for what i do shout out to the nyt games uh developers all Shout out to our, t- our technical team, who really just has a whole database of puzzles already for me to work with. It's up to me to actually go and schedule these puzzles in our database and actually sift through each puzzle's word list to choose what does and doesn't make the cut. Oh.
2: And so do you think about this like over the course of a week? Like how long is the melody that you're playing here? Is it just like you don't want them to be too similar day to day? Or are you thinking out a whole month? Like How do you see that?
3: Yeah, I do them in a, I do them in week batches at a time and I try and cobble together a nice week of varying difficulty, you know, a plethora of different letters. I, um, I, I, you know, I'm able to see a history of past puzzles I've run. I like throwing curveballs. I don't follow, you know, the New York times crossword follows increasing difficulty from Monday to Saturday. I like keeping the spelling bee solvers on their toes and you don't know what you're going to get the next day relative to the previous day.
2: Do you get analytics, like statistics on which puzzles do best? And does that guide your decision-making? Or are you just pure play puzzle constructor?
3: My goal is to come at this more holistically from the lens of a puzzle maker, constructor, solver. It's really, you know, I the closest thing I choose to get to statistics, you know, I might be able to see things after the fact, like how many solvers were able to find a, diff- a given pangram, uh, which uses all seven letters of the hive, by the way. But really, I'm just like, I just listen to a bunch of social media feedback. I hear from those close to me that, you know, I'm thrilled to get to play the bee every day and take things into consideration for the next time. But really, it's just a bunch of like kicking back, thinking about how I feel about words, how I know others around me feel about words and going from there.
2: So Sam, you reminded me that we should do this for people who've never played Spelling Bee. Um, How does the game actually work?
3: Yes. So each day you are greeted with the smiling avatar of, um, of Beatrice, our mascot. That is B-E-E, atrice, And she greets you, says that you have seven letters to work with. How many words can you find with just a set of seven letters? Each word must include the center letter. And you can use letters as many times as possible. So for instance... The letters A, C and I, assuming one of those is the sensor letter, you will be able to find acai as well as acacia. So you can use letters as much as you'd like. And there is always at least one word that includes all seven of those letters, however often they're repeated. Yeah.
2: We're talking about puzzles and why they have become so popular lately. And we're joined by Sam Mazursky. You've been listening to the digital puzzles editor for the New York Times. Want to bring in the rest of our panel, Aaron Rohde, software engineer, who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014? She's also appeared on Jeopardy! Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hello, how are you? Hey, good, thanks for joining us. And we also have Paolo Pasco. He's a senior at Harvard and has constructed crossword puzzles for the New York Times, the Atlantic, and the New Yorker. Welcome, Paolo.
4: Hello, thank you for having me.
2: Paolo, I'm gonna start with you, your crossword maker. I wanna know you've already gotten to kind of the pinnacle of the crossword game as a senior in college, have you always been into this? And how'd you get into it?
4: Um, I was into puzzles for all my life. Uh, One of my earliest memories was solving Sudoku and crayon and stuff. (laughs) Um, But it was only pretty recent that the crossword thing happened because I felt like for a lot of my life, crosswords were kind of a thing I was not able to do as a child because I knew that my brain was small. And I felt like it was gated by a lot of knowing trivia or knowing old movies and stuff. But I think it was about eighth grade when I got a book across words to pass time on a road trip and I realized, oh, these are doable and -hmm. they're made by, you know, actual people and they could be really clever and word twisty and fun to kind of figure out what a clue you don't have any idea what it's saying is actually saying in the end.
2: Um, I have to say that I am by avocation and vacation, a word person, like 100%. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't love crosswords, mostly because I'm mediocre at them at best. Um, and the, and definitely the worst in my family. So um, <laughs> for people like me, what advice you have as a puzzle constructor for how I could get better?
4: Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. I think the best advice I can give is to just solve a lot. Um, The New York Times is a really good thing of escalating difficulty. Um, Also, a quick plug for The Atlantic, I do the mini every weekday, which also escalates in difficulty. So a lot of places really have a kind of handrail uh, in place for you to kind of start in a familiar place and then kind of get harder and challenge yourself a little bit throughout each day, um.
2: Baby steps, you're saying baby steps. Okay, I will take that advice. Um, Aaron Rohde, so the MIT mystery hunt among puzzle people is a huge deal. But for those people in our audience who don't know what it is, can you kind of explain it insofar as it's something that can be explained?
5: I was gonna say, I probably can't, but I will try. Um, First of all, it's happening right now, like the kickoff started when this show started. so 15 um, minutes ago, yeah, yeah. 15 minutes ago, so I'm I'm, I'm missing it for this, but that's okay because I have people who are gonna fill me in. Um, so the mystery hunt, it's considered like, I say the granddaddy or the grandmother of puzzle hunts. Puzzle hunts, they're sort of like a scavenger hunt. The mystery hunt started in 1981 and it was, there's a coin hidden on campus and I've given you a sheet of puzzles that will clue you to the location of the coin. Every year it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and then events were added and then puzzles where you ran around and then the internet became a thing and, you know, you had to look things up in the library and then you had to look things up on Google. And now it's a series of rounds of puzzles where a crossword would be too simple, quite frankly, to be in the mystery hunt. You would have a crossword, for example, that then you had to fold that solved crossword into a specific origami shape and read (laughs) the word that came on the origami, which would say the phrase New York Times. And then you would have to know to go find that day's New York times crossword puzzle and fold that into origami to get the answer word of the puzzle. Oh my God. That was
2: so actually this is like, we ran in 2014. It, it, this is a full on like 72 hours. How many people participate? How many people are on these teams? Like, do you solve this alone or do you have like a whole crew that with different specialties in these different kinds of puzzles?
5: Um, you have a whole crew. So my team averages somewhere ballpark a hundred people um, across the board. So, when we ran the hunt in 2014, there was not a pandemic and we required you to be on campus and it was more local. And then we had about 1,800 people participating in total. Um, I got the numbers last night. They have, they think around 5,500 people who are going to participate this year because with the pandemic, it's all online. So, people are participating from all over the world. Um, Last year was also all online for the first time. And so the word has spread. And it's, I think last year there were 3,000 people. Um, so, yeah, Aaron, so it's a
2: lot of people, you know, for like, let's say, you know, athletes or en- endurance runners or something like that, you know, they might train for like the Dipsy, which is a big race here in the Bay and kind of everything around their year kind of revolves, you know, all the training they do revolves around like, you know, getting to the Dipsy. Is that kind of how it is for you that like you want to train across a wide variety of puzzles? So you're kind of ready for this steeplechase of the puzzle world.
5: A little bit. Um, so I also construct crossword puzzles. And I find that constructing puzzles helps you get better at solving puzzles. Um, and then there are smaller puzzle hunts that happen through the year. The pandemic has really opened up what I consider like a golden age of puzzle hunts. Because 20 years ago, basically, there was the MIT Mystery Hunt and a couple West Coast hunts, which they were a slightly different style, where you'd get in a car and drive from location to location to get the next puzzle. Um, but now the pandemic forced everybody inside and more schools and more independent groups of people were like well we're bored let's do an online puzzle hunt and so there's been these smaller puzzle hunts you know almost once a month for the past year and a half where people are practicing by writing puzzles and then sharing them and so you you do those and you do crosswords and you do you know, whatever kind of logic puzzles you can find. I have a friend that would poo poo doing Sudokus, but people do those. Um, We're (laughs) And we
2: have, we have a puzzle to solve right here on the air. Sam Azerski came up with a puzzle for us. Sam, can you give our listeners, we previewed at the top, the puzzle? And if you get the answer to the puzzle, you're going to call in and tell us the answer.
3: You've got it. Um, This is one, this is a little teaser. i threw together exclusively for the Bay Area crowd today. Um, You ready? Take a noted Bay Area neighborhood. It's two words with lengths three and six letters. If you anagram this neighborhood's name, full name, you get a nine-letter plural noun referring to leaders of a certain form of government. What is the neighborhood and what is its anagram?
2: One more time, Sam.
3: Yes, I know that was a lot. (laughs) Take a noted Bay Area neighborhood. It's two words with lengths three and six letters. If you anagram this neighborhood's name, you get a nine-letter plural noun referring to leaders of a certain form of government. What is the neighborhood and what is its anagram?
2: So good. Good luck out there, puzzlers. We're talking about puzzles. We're solving a puzzle. And we're thinking about why they become popular Lately during this pandemic, we're joined by Sam Izerski, digital puzzles editor for The New York Times, who edits the popular spelling bee and who came up with a puzzle just for you out there. Aaron Rohde, software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014, also a crossword maker and appeared on Jeopardy. Paolo Pasco, senior at Harvard, constructed crossword puzzles for The New York Times, The Atlantic, and The New Yorker. If you want to get in touch with us you've solved this puzzle or you have another puzzle related question or comment give us a call 866-733-6786 that's 866-733-6786 get in touch twitter facebook instagram kqd forum or email your questions comments answers to forum at kqed.org why do you enjoy puzzles do they drive you crazy like they drive me crazy give us a call i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more after the break Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about puzzles, why they've become so popular lately. Joined by Sam Mazursky, digital puzzles editor at The New York Times, Paolo Pasco, senior at Harvard, constructed crossword puzzles for The Times, Atlantic, and others. And Aaron Rohde, software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt, the granddaddy of puzzle hunts, which we also got to uh, learn about today. Sam, just for listeners, I wanted you to give the puzzle that you've made just for our audience one more time, just so that people who didn't have a pen and paper handy can, can get, the, get it down.
3: You've got it. It's a Bay Area exclusive, if you will. Take a noted Bay Area neighborhood. It's two words with lengths of three and six letters. If you anagram this neighborhood's name, you get a nine-letter plural noun referring to leaders of a certain form of government. What is the neighborhood and what is its anagram?
2: perfect all right so we gotta talk about wordle uh from the experts what do you think aaron rhodi is is wordle worth the hype um and for those who who don't know wordle is a game where you try and guess a uh five letter word it has some other components to it but that's that's it you're just trying to guess this five letter word
5: so this is mildly contrary wordle is fine but it's lingo (laughs) Which, Lingo is like a game show game that's been on for years, and so it's not new. And in fact, for those that don't like the one game a day limit, you can go find a Lingo game online and it's exactly the same game. But I think it's fun. Um, I think it's fun to try to compete and share with your friends. That's sort of the nice part about it, especially in a pandemic. Um,
2: You know, Sam, um, the creator of Wordle has said that, you know, he feels like the magic of wordle is in fact that one puzzle a day limit which he says he borrowed uh, the idea from spelling bee do you think there's something about that just like the fact that everybody who's playing that game that day is playing the exact same puzzle
3: absolutely i think that's part of the magic of wordle and i just i also just want to start by saying that you know Lover of word games, lover of puzzles, the more the merrier. Really, big fan. I admittedly play daily myself.
2: I think you know it's. You're not like a little jealous, that... like a, just like a little jealous of Wordle.
3: No, no, serious, <laughs> seriously, it's fun. I love, I love all these games. Honestly, spelling like you need to take a backseat. No, um, I, I think, um, I, th- I think, yeah, that's absolutely part of the magic is that you're working on the same puzzle in a given day and just that one puzzle and it's got you clamoring. For the next day's puzzle and then when it's the next day you get to race to do that puzzle and talk about that very puzzle i think there's something that's just so you know it really brings everybody together when you just have
7: that one daily
3: puzzle and actually when you can't even go back and play that puzzle the next day mm-hmm. um i think it's really i mean hey look uh, I, I might be a little bit biased but i think uh i think josh wardle did uh did copy a nice structure of the spelling bee and creating his game
2: yeah it's good uh, Paolo, what about you? I mean, I, one question I have for you is for someone like yourself who's been a puzzler for all this time, does Wordle just feel kind of basic? Like, I don't or or is there a depth to the game that keeps you interested?
4: Oh, I'm a really big fan. Um, part of it just because I did well in today's. I think if you asked me on the day I did five out of six or something, <laughs> I would say shut it down um, bad, but... <laughs> I did it in three out of six. just want to say that in a public forum. Um, So I really like it.
2: That's good. That's good. Well, um, I did it with one of my kids this morning and recorded it and was like, oh, yeah, it'll be cute. We can play it. But there was one of the letters was in the recording and the whole forum team was like, you cannot do that people will be so mad if you give away one of the letters uh, of Wordle. It's like, you know, telling someone the score of the Warriors game when they've, uh, you know, when they've recorded it. Um, Let's go one step deeper here. Aaron. why do you think you love solving puzzles? I mean, particularly for someone like you, who's made this, this is a big part of your life, it sounds like.
5: Yeah. I mean, puzzles are very concrete and they have an answer. Um, And so if you are, Solving a puzzle or even creating a puzzle, there's there's sort of a nice beginning and everything is laid out in front of you, and you know when you get to a completion point and you're done and you've solved it. Whereas I think something like, let's say the COVID pandemic, I would not say that that's a puzzle because I don't think that has a neat and easy solution such that then you're done and you can walk away from it because it's over. I wish it was. Um, and so puzzles can be this nice escape from the real world where things aren't that neat and easily tied up into a bow and you can have, you know, everything in this very nice logical order and, you know, connect things out of chaos into something that makes sense and you can put it in a neat package and, and then know that you're done with it. Um,
2: You know, Sam, you've been, making puzzles like Paolo actually for kind of your whole, I mean, you are just out of UVA. I mean, maybe not just, but you know, you, you, you've been doing this. This was a dream to be a a puzzle maker. Why do you think that is like, how, why does your brain want to do that so badly?
3: Honestly, I'm,
2: I'm not sure I could
3: have put it better than Aaron did about just the joy of solving puzzles and how the human brain just finds solace in being able to restore chaos. Right. Uh, restore order to chaos, or just like find a given solution to something in a way that just stimulates you, right? And takes away from the rest of your day. Um, I mean, my mind my brain was just always fascinated. So I actually, as you alluded, I got started out making crosswords. The bulk of my job as digital puzzles editor actually still relates to editing and reviewing the crossword puzzles that come into us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually a big fan of Palo and Aaron's work as well, just going on the record and saying that. Um, <laughs> but really, I think my brain was just always drawn to crosswords and other puzzles just as a way to, just it's it's finding an answer to something. It's even just in terms of the design, I was always interested in the construction in particular. I actually have an engineering academic background. So I'm a very left Mm brain person who just always wanted to solve a problem or create an optimal crazy solution to something, um, you know, given a set of constraints. And that's what Crossword Puzzles really provided. Even with Spelling Bee now, it's just a matter of optimizing a puzzle for such a widespread audience and giving the world the absolute best that I can offer. So I think that's just what draws me to this world as a puzzle maker, solver, and editor. Yeah.
2: We're talking about puzzles, how to make them, how to solve them, why they've become so popular lately with Sam Mazursky, digital puzzles editor for The New York Times, Paolo Pasco, he's a senior at Harvard, constructed crossword puzzles for The Times, Atlantic, and New Yorker, and Aaron Rohde, software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014, also appeared on Jeopardy and makes crossword puzzles. Uh, what's a puzzle you've solved that felt like a major achievement or a puzzle clue that's really stayed with you? You can give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Also, quick update, I think we may have the first puzzle-solving answer in. Checking that out. Uh, still the the puzzle that uh, that Sam made for us here um, just for our audience. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. I wanted to talk about one more thing before we get to a perspective puzzle answer, and that is sort of how you build a crossword. Since that's kind of the the puzzle-building skill that all three of you share – Uh, Erin, let's start with you. Do you think like most puzzle makers start with the same way? Um, And how do you start?
5: I don't know if most people do. Um, For me, well, it depends on the type of puzzle, but for almost all puzzles, you start backwards. So in a crossword, you start with what is the theme that I want to have, or if you're doing a theme list, what are the sort of seed words that I want to put in and then build things around them. If you're doing a puzzle hunt puzzle that's based off the answer, sometimes I look at the answer word and I say, for example, I wrote one called Bumblebee Tuna that was based on B-sides, which is because I needed to write a puzzle that I knew that the answer needed to be Don't Worry Baby, and I looked up information about that song and discovered it was a B-side, which spun out this idea from there. So everything when you're writing goes backwards. You know what the hmm. final answer is in the final form. Um, a lot of people ask in crosswords, do you write the clues first or the grid? And crossword constructors always laugh because obviously you write the grid first. It doesn't make any sense if you think about it in a constructing to do the
4: clues first. Yeah, uh, so Paolo, backwards. What about backwards yeah? Is, the short answer.
2: is that is that what you would say too for you, Paolo? Uh
4: Yeah, mine's pretty much the same. Yeah.
2: Does that mean you solve it that way too? Like when you're going to solve a crossword puzzle, are you like, oh, I'm going to unlock this theme? Or do you go like one across, one down? <laughs> like, how do you do it?
5: Solving, I go one across, but I you definitely use tricks when you're like, oh, I see where this is going as you go along. Um, so it's not that you're doing it backwards, but you're maybe looking I find if I'm thinking as a constructor while I'm solving, I'm thinking one step ahead of where I am solving to try to see where the thing is going because I know how it should come together.
2: Mm. Sam, how about you? I mean, you, you handle so many different peoples because you're editing these crosswords. You handle so many different people's work and the way that they put puzzles together. And I wonder, does that make you worse possibly than you were when you started uh, at actually solving these crosswords? Or do you think you've just like ascended to a higher plane of puzzle existence now?
3: Not at all. Um, (laughs) I think it's really, I mean, as the others have said, the more puzzles you solve, I cannot emphasize this enough, as cliche as it sounds, the more puzzles you see, the more puzzle clues you familiarize yourself with, the more crosswords you solve, you're bound to become a better solver. I think, I don't know, maybe I've peaked. I solve less puzzles now than I did because I don't get to solve, you know, for instance, the Daily New York Times crossword. But I definitely... You just begin, I think a lot of it is just, for me at least, is just pattern recognition. It's, and this applies to both constructing and solving puzzles. You see something like P blank O blank O in a grid. And if you want to know how those speed solvers crush puzzles so quickly in mere minutes, like Paolo Pasco, who can solve a Monday in under two minutes, by the way. Um, You see P blank, O blank, O, and you just go, okay, it's promo, photo, or palo, or or phono, I might be missing something. And then you don't even have to look and actually read that clue, you're going to look at those crossers. And when you're constructing a puzzle like that, you know that those are the constraints that are in play. Maybe use some of those other letters, like the H in photo, the A in Paolo, and see if that can work on help you work on any um, actual crossing answers. It's really a fascinating phenomenon, and over time, your brain just molds to think that way. I um, the last thing I'll say is that I, you know, I crossword constructors. Um, we have a joke that you know we can just knee jerk count fifteen letter answers because a crossword is. 15 squares by 15 squares, a daily crossword. So the way my brain works now, I'll just be walking around and seeing a phrase and it'll just kind of auto count the number of letters in my head. And people are always on the lookout for new fun 15s, as we say.
2: Oh, man. I love that there's such a community though. Um, it's such a cool thing. I want to bring in uh, another guest. Her name is Sarah Scannell. She works for a documentary film company. And she's going to tell us a little story about... How she went viral on TikTok with her clips on trying to solve this thing called Kane's Jawbone. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Um, Uh, So, Sarah, first you got to tell us what Kane's Jawbone is.
1: Yeah, so Kane's Jawbone originally was this um, 100 page puzzle published in 1934 in a puzzle book, where basically it is a murder mystery where you have to solve the six murderers the six murdered victims, and all 100 pages are printed out of order. And so it's kind of this impossibly hard challenge that kind of lost to time. And then in 2019, this English um, publishing company decided to reprint it and kind of restart the competition. There was a competition originally involved in it. And one day I was just at Green Apple Books on Clement and found it. And yeah, as you said, went viral, just kind of solving it on TikTok. And now all of a sudden, this book almost lost to time has like, millions of people uh trying to solve it at once
2: that's wild i just have to ask our panel of of puzzlers have you guys heard about kane's jawbone before anybody wow See, new to me. Me.
5: I've, I've heard of it someone gave me a copy of it and i i looked at it and i went oh my god i i don't have time and i set it down
2: <laughs> what what makes it so hard
1: um <laughs> Sarah i mean everything Scan- yeah added. yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I, I agree with you, Erin, that I, I also originally didn't buy it because I read the back of it and was like, oh no, <laughs> there's so many components. Like not only the fact that the actual structure is so difficult that reading anything out of order is extremely disorienting. And then you add in the fact that like mystery is happening and like a difficult murder mystery at that. And then also the fact that it was written in England in the 30s. So there's like cultural references and just like understandings that you should have as a reader. But now, you know, so many years later are already lost. So it takes, you know, a lot of Googling just for illusions and things like that.
2: How how far along do you think? I mean, I know I've seen your wall because I've seen the TikTok, <laughs> which has like all the book pages, like with, you know, string connecting them as if you're, you know, kind of solving uh, an actual murder as a detective. Um, but I like, has that actually helped you? Like, are you any closer than when you started?
1: Oh, definitely, yes, the murder wall, infamous in my family at this point, um, that I, that's kind of the only, not like obviously putting it vertically on a wall is the only way to do it, but you need space to put like spread out all 100 pages because you need to constantly be switching them around or connecting them or whatever. Um, But it actually 100% has helped because it really helps me visualize everything at once. Um, The only problem with assessing how far you get is that as soon as you figure out one thing, you kind of have to reassess everything you've read so it's very much a like one step forward two step back kind of situation so yeah. i definitely have made progress i've paired up a lot of couplets and you know created scenes that are still out of order um but it's it's quite fun honestly
2: <laughs> yeah um sarah last question um before we let you go what do you make of the fact that your TikTok about this went so big like do you see that as a consequence of the pandemic and people just being bored like have you gone viral a bunch of times on tiktok and so the algorithm's expecting sarah scannell is going to put up some good content like what do you what do you make of that
1: i mean i had a very decent following before but i'm very much a film person so that was kind of my whole shit. um and so i think like i've never been on book talk as people call it but i think it's 100 percent just the fact that it is a very cool kind of unique concept that seems deceptively manageable because the book is so short. But um, I know that the last person to solve it, solved it like in lockdown, like his reasoning was also that people had a lot of time. And I think even now in like a slightly more, less severe lockdown, yeah, people are just here for a project. Wow.
2: Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Sarah Scannell works for a documentary Mm -hmm. film company, recently gone viral on TikTok with her clips trying to solve Kane's jawbone a murder mystery originally published in England in the 1930s. What's your TikTok name in case people want to see that, Sarah?
1: It's a little difficult. It's Sarah. It's S-A-R then seven U's and G-H. Very unsearchable. That
2: is an extremely TikTok name. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Uh, so we are going to give the answer to the puzzle that Sam gave us out. Um, but just for people, we're going to hear it one more time before the break. And then when we come back, we're going to bring on Ruth from San Francisco to tell us the answer. We also apparently have had seven people uh, who've emailed in the answer and uh, a handful more on the phone, but Ruth, she was the first. So Sam, um, give us the puzzle one last time for people who might want to take a crack at solving it before we give the answer
3: time. Again, this is a teaser exclusively for the Bay Area crowd today. Take a noted Bay Area neighborhood. It's two words with lengths three and six letters. If you anagram this neighborhood's name, you get a nine-letter plural noun referring to leaders of a certain form of government. What is the neighborhood and what is its anagram?
2: Thank you, Sam. That is the puzzle. We're going to give the answer after the break. We're talking about puzzles generally, why they've become so popular lately, different kinds of puzzles with Sam Mazursky, digital puzzles editor for The New York Times. Paolo Pasco, senior at Harvard, constructed crossword puzzles for The Times, Atlantic, and The New Yorker. We're actually going to let Paolo go because he's a senior at Harvard. He needs to go get a job, and he's got a job interview. Thanks so much for joining us, Paolo. Thank you so much for having me. Staying with us through the break, we've got Erin Rohde, a software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014. She constructs crossword puzzles, and we are, in fact, getting some great comments in from you. Robert writes, I did the New York Times crosswords puzzle with my mom in the weeks before her death under hospice care at home. At 89 and half the time, laying in bed with her eyes closed, she kept coming up with obscure answers for which I had no clue. That puzzle experience I will cherish. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about puzzles and also solving them. We're joined here by Aaron Rohde, software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014 and constructs crossword puzzles and other things, as well as Sam Azerski, digital puzzles editor for the New York Times, edits the popular Spelling Bee, and he created a puzzle just for us. Uh, Ruth from San Francisco, welcome to the show.
7: Hey, hi. Nice to be here.
2: Hi, Ruth. So you have solved the puzzle. Maybe you could walk us through a little bit um, how you came to the answer and then give us the answer.
7: Sure. Well, I live in Noe Valley, um, which meets the criteria of three and six. And I couldn't think of any way I could um, make that work. But then I realized I live just south of the Castro and that could work. And once I got to the Castro, um, it it just kind of came to me because you could just, you know, the, put an O at it and then you use the rest and you get theocrats. And then I had to look up to make sure that theocrats would count as a form of, of or a person in a form of government, theocracy, of course. But um, I did check to see if I could find it on Google, which, Sam, is something I do a lot with the spelling bee sometimes. <laughs> sometimes with good and sometimes with not so good results in terms of who thinks it's the word.
2: That is. um, So, Sam, is that it was the neighborhood, the Castro and the and the type of leader theocrat? Yes, Ruth.
3: well (laughs) done. And my apologies for the unintentional red herring on it. No, that's hysterical,
7: actually.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I thought you were going to give me something. I did not know the answer. I didn't want to know the answer. I wanted to be surprised and delighted on the air, which you have done for me. Thank you, Ruth. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Ruth, it also sounds like you are a big Spelling Bee fan as well. Is that true?
7: Obsessed. Obsessed. And so many people, so many of my friends are as well.
2: Is that what makes it fun for you? Because you get to sort of like you get you get to Queen Bee, which is sort of like when you found every word for listeners out there who don't play if you exist. Uh, and then you just like send over a screenshot of this Queen Bee. Is that what it's like for you?
7: Well, I, I try not to be competitive, especially because it's. Um, I've only gotten to Queen Bee a couple of times and I did it with hints. Um, so I don't feel it's really um, it really counts. I'm waiting to try and get there on my own. Um, but. It's just fun. You know, we do complain about, like, how come after Christmas you wouldn't take figgy as in figgy pudding. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of, hey, is this a word? Is is that a word? How come you didn't take that? Um, it's just kind of fun.
2: Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for playing along with us and for playing uh, for, for playing Spelling Bee as well. Um, Sam, I do, you know, we've got calls coming in from listeners. We've got comments coming in. Tell us about the process of deciding which words to take on Spelling Bee because that, clearly you're, like, accosted in the supermarket probably <laughs> people asking you why you didn't take Figgy after Christmas.
3: It's It's the elephant in the room, and it's completely understandable. I mean, you know, just for starters, I guess I like to explain, you know, more philosophically, like, because people ask all the time, why is there even an editor? Why not just use a dictionary and leave it untouched? Because when you have an editor or just one person editing this thing, it's going to be so arbitrary. And that's ridiculous. Why is an editor touching my dictionary? It's because, you know, a dictionary in any form is going to lead to rather unabridged results. And trust me on this, from the, work, the, the unrefined word lists I see pre-editing, um, you'd never get to genius. You'd never get to queen B. There's, regardless of what your wheelhouse is, there's so much arcana out there, right? But the role of the editor sort of comes in. It's, the lexicon is always going to be arbitrary regardless of who's editing it, right? Because every single solver out there has their own experience, their own personal or cultural background, their own wheelhouse, their own profession. So it's my job as editor to tailor this game to you know a widespread audience and a whole melting a, a melting pot of different solvers it's it's an ever evolving process really i mean there are definitely words that i I, so I, I use uh, I use several dictionaries at my disposal. I use the old Google test. I put things in quotes all the time. I actually some of my methodology involves um, because you know I work for the Times, we're a newspaper. I like seeing if a certain word has appeared in news articles recently, mm-hmm. like especially when it's sort of a weird form adverb. Like, is it conceivable that somebody would put this adverb in writing, or does this just seem too far fetched? What is this doing in my word list? So. Ultimately, you know, there most of the calls are actually very simple. You know, it's just straightforward words like ball. They make the cut. And then there are just, you know, I research just about everything, but there are the more obvious scrabble words as I like to say that are just never going to make the cut. But there it's the line judge calls that are so difficult and understandably so from a solving perspective because the way a digital game works, it's a yes, it's here, it's a no, it's not. There isn't a gray area, and it's a word list, a back-end word list that needs to be one-size-fits-all for yeah. any solver out there.
2: I, you so- know, I actually like that there's a human component to it. You know what I mean? Everybody out there now, when they shake their fist at Spelling Bee, can be like, that was Sam! Sam did this to me! <laughs> I, I, That's great, I think. Um, let's bring in uh, Harvey from Berkeley.
8: Welcome, Harvey. Oh, good morning. Great show. Thank you. Uh, I've got a a tip and a minor complaint. The tip is I I do crossword puzzles every day, partly because I enjoy them, but also to keep my aging brain from aging any quicker than it already is. And in that regard, to that second aspect, as soon as I get the first word, uh, I I don't write it down. I try to Mm -hmm. remember the letters and then fill in all the horizontals and verticals, as many as I can, just remembering, not filling in anything. And then finally I say okay and I fill in the whole little corner of the puzzle but I did. It's challenging and it keeps your brain and your memory working. So just a little tip for this is your little brain training method. Oh that's so Yeah. My minor complaint is I don't know how many thousands of words, tens of thousands of words there are in the English language, your guests probably know. We don't have to see Oreo every week or eeks. Some of the words are just used over and over again. It's a minor complaint. Thank you guys for making puzzles because they're just wonderful. Thank Uh, you. Hey,
2: thanks, Harvey. Um, Hey, Aaron, I wanted to ask you about um, Harvey's first point, which was about sort of like doing the puzzles kind of in his head as a way of sort of staying fresh, working the memory out. Um, What do you think? Do you do do it like that? Are you a pen and paper person?
5: I've, I've done it like that. I actually was on a road trip with my sister driving across Canada and I was driving so she would read the clues and I was trying to solve it without seeing the grid and she'd be like five letter word blah 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 blah." and the crossing looks like this and I would say oh okay. Um, I could also address his second point about Oreo and Eeks. Those words get used because they have really good vowels in nice configurations and so they work really well for crossing um, and you can complain, but I think Oreo is still going to show up a
2: lot. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of listener comments. Uh, Randall writes, brag. I had, to ans- I had the answer to Sam's puzzle before he was done repeating it. Good job, Randall. Um, he says, anyway, since lockdown began nearly two years ago, a group of coworkers get on Zoom every day at 3 p.m. to do the New York Times crossword puzzle and time-permitting spelling bee. Uh, Stephen writes, I've been doing Spelling Bee for several months now. I didn't know it had just caught on during the pandemic. I started out just finding the pangram and moving on. Now I'm hooked and solve it every day. I'm up late, so I get the new puzzle at midnight. Last night, I got to Genius in about five minutes. My fastest ever. Congratulations, Stephen. Uh, (laughs) Uh... Sam, have you seen, like, master Spelling Bee players? Like, do, do people want to, like, show you, like, listen, I can get to Queen Bee in seven minutes. Like, do you know, like, do you see stats on that? Like, who are the very best? Are there some people out there who are, who are truly, like, next level at the game?
3: Oh, there are absolute machines out there. And that goes with any puzzle solving. Again, I name Drop Palo here on the call. You know, he's a machine with crossword solving. There are spelling bee solvers that get to queen bee every single day or won't go on with their daily lives until they get to queen bee every day, which by the way, for those of you, I should say prospective spelling bee players out there, we don't even list the score or total number of words for queen bee publicly. Our goal is for you to get to our top rank that we list is genius, which fun fact is uh, equates to 70% of the total points possible for the game. We're not even expecting our solvers to find every last word or get every last point, but there is, you know, a small, a small subset, but a non insignificant subset of solvers that can really find every last word. You all are so smart. It's so impressive. I wake up every day to, you know, my Twitter mention saying queen for the day, and really, it's it's out there. People, there are definite, there are definite heavyweights and daily heavyweights at that.
2: I just crack up thinking about your life, Sam. I gotta say, just all these people out there who just each and every day, once they figured out you're the guy, they just they they want you to know that they've solved this or that they're mad about something. Um, we have a listener who wrote in saying, "Why aren't you talking about jigsaw puzzles?" My family has been obsessed with them. I love the ability to take a massive pile of chaos and create order, whether that's a group of movie posters or baskets of kittens. Putting in that last piece is so satisfying. And here's my question for you, Aaron, Rody. Do you think the jigsaw puzzlers, the, the visual problem solvers, that is to say, are different from the word problem solvers out there? Oh, that's a
5: good question. Um it's they're both pulling order from chaos but I I have a former coworker who her name is Shiva she might be listening hi Shiva um she can take jigsaw puzzles like massive 5,000 I think she did a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle once and she can sit there I don't have the patience and she sorts them all by type of piece and I wouldn't say that her brain works differently than word puzzle people, but she has trained it on different things as to how she sorts them. Like she knows, you know, you have a piece that juts out. She knows how to sort all the pieces that jut out that look slightly different so that she she will have an array of all of the thousand pieces sorted in this method that she has that I don't understand. So it's it's the same, but it's different, I think, Yeah. The yeah.
2: Let's bring in Mark from uh, Sunnyvale. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, there was something that one of the uh, speakers on the call or the, uh, the presenters today had actually mentioned early on in the call that talked about the sort of sense of joy or satisfaction that you get solving puzzles. And it resonated with me as a software developer, and I would imagine with many other software developers in the Bay Area, that what we do on a daily basis is that kind of problem-solving that uh, sort of overlaps with a lot of the types of puzzles that you're talking about, and I just, I, I just kind of wanted to make that as a plug for people. You know, might be good at, at uh, puzzles if they want a new career, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys discuss it. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. Hey, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. You know, um, Sam, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, do you think there's particular kind of person who makes or likes these kinds of puzzles? I. I agree. I think a lot of software developers do seem to have this kind of brain. Um, But are there other, you know, broader sort of nerd puzzle brains? I think hmm, I used to
3: believe that was the case, actually, because you'd see a trend in I'm I'm strictly going to stick with just making puzzles for now. You'd see a trend in constructors that would have, have backgrounds in music, for instance, or math or engineering. Um, nowadays, I mean, especially as you know, we at the Times are everywhere, there's a much larger conversation in cross-world, as we say right now, about elevating um, constructors that have been traditionally underrepresented in puzzles. You begin to see that there are so many different kinds of puzzle makers and puzzle making styles out there. I've thought of it less... I approach these things. I like making really tough, uh, I like making really tough themeless puzzles. And also my shameless plug for the day is full disclosure. I have tomorrow's New York Times crossword puzzles. And that's why it's <laughs> Saturday. Um, so I always approached it from an engineering perspective, um, you know, just optimization, um, level of constraints. Um, but these days, I think puzzle making is really, he says somewhat snobbishly, as it's it's an art form. It's people doing So many different people having so many different styles, doing whatever they'd like with their puzzle, bringing in their own constructor voice into the puzzle, highlighting certain answers that are part of them, highlight, you know, a certain style of putting together a grid or attempting this type of theme. And it really is a beautiful theme, excuse me, a beautiful thing, Freudian slip. Uh, just to see so many different types of puzzle styles, and really, I'd just say it's an art form or it's yeah. artwork for any constructor's uh, fingerprint out there.
2: Aaron Rohde, like our caller, you are a software engineer um, and have, by directing the MIT Mystery Hunt, I imagine, come into contact with a lot of uh, a more traditional engineering puzzler. But do you think that, that perhaps during the pandemic, perhaps even uh, longer than that, there has been an opening up of the puzzle world.
5: I think so. I I also think that one of the reasons historically that you would see a lot of software people who construct puzzles is that it helps to be able to write software to construct puzzles. Um, (laughs) Full confession, I get Queen Bee every day in the spelling bee because I wrote a Python script that can run all the anagrams for me, Um, (laughs) which is probably cheating.
2: Yeah, I was about Um, to say, I don't think that's probably cheating. That's definitely cheating. (laughs)
5: But I, I found, I found you know, joy in how do I write the most efficient piece of software to solve this puzzle for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and like the caller, there's, there's, you get a similar sort of high in writing a good piece of code that you do in writing a software puzzle. But I also think, you know, Sam said, I, get a, I also I play music and I sing and you get a similar high if you get the music to fit just the right way. Um, but I think everybody gets that high, whether they are a software engineer, whether they are a musician, um, and one thing that is definitely true now for people trying to construct software is, you don't actually have to write your own software because there's commercially available software out there to help you. Um, I have another friend who started writing crossword puzzles a few years ago, and he was writing them by hand with pencil on graph paper. And I was like, Seth, his name is Seth, you need to go and get this piece of software, and it will help what's you. The, what's
2: the software called for any would Um There's crossover. two.
5: There's. Crossword Compiler, which is for Windows, and then I use Crossfire, which you can use on Linux or uh, Mac or Windows. Um, okay.
2: That's awesome. Um, last uh, couple comments here from listeners. Jack writes, My seven-year-old son loves the spelling bee. It's a real bonding moment for our family every day. He was so happy when he got his first pangram last week. Biological. Rachel writes, In my high school math class, they made us use TI-83 graphing calculators. God, I love those things. I never did math on mine, but they could type letters. So my friends would give me two totally different four- or five-letter words and see how many moves making a new word by changing one letter it would take me to get from one to the other. My greatest success was bunny to eight. In nine moves, I've <laughs> had some people with their favorite puzzles. Just things uh, out there for people might want to try. Uh, one's called Wordscapes from a listener. Mary writes that the ARP, the ARP, has a Scrabble-like word game called Outspell that I find highly addictive. Michael shouts out the Guardian Weekly crossword, and Jess writes on Instagram that jumble and his cheesy puns are what they've been loving. We've been talking about puzzles, why they've become popular. We've been joined by Sam Mazursky, digital puzzles editor for the New York Times, who edits Spelling Bee. Thanks for coming on, Sam.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This was a real privilege. I had a blast.
2: Thank you. We've also, and thanks for making the puzzle for us, too. Really appreciate that. And we've also been joined by Aaron Rohde, software engineer who directed the MIT Mystery Hunt in 2014 and needs to get going on this year's Right Now. Um, yes. Thanks for coming on the show. Puzzles are released in three minutes, so I'm going to be very busy. Awesome. Forum is produced by Ariana Prell, Blanca Torres, Susie Britton, Dan Zahl, and Grace juan Caroline Smith is our engagement producer, Judy Campbell's lead producer for the nine o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff. Our interns are Jennifer Ng and Paul Kelly. Our executive editor is Ethan Tove and Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I hope it was as fun as I wanted it to be. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
7: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.